Uh, by way of introduction, my name's uh, Aaron. I'm one of the uh, one of the pastors here at Connect Church, married to um, Miranda, and we've been married for ten years now. And I've been waiting to say this for like three years straight, um, and I can finally say it together: uh, we have a child. <laughs> Praise God! And his name's Noah. Noah Wing Young, and he made us wait. I'm telling you, he made us wait uh, for ages. And what felt like a multiple season upon season upon season, uh, he is a miracle child. I was talking to someone out there in the foyer, and I said, to me, every baby is a miracle. Praise Jesus. Whilst we waited for so long, uh, you might be in a season of waiting. I just want to encourage you this morning and say, uh, even though you're waiting, God's still on the throne. He's still there. He's in control, and he loves you. That's all you need to know. So many people, as we were waiting, told us that. And uh, that never got old. We grabbed hold of that. We keep having to remind ourselves, he's on the throne, he's on the throne. And you've got to grab hold of that uh, this morning. Now, if the year hasn't already gone fast due to lockdown and COVID, um, you insert a child in there and you're moving at the speed of light. Okay, this year has gone so fast uh, for many of you, and you don't need me to tell you that it's been a year of all sorts. You already know that. How many are looking forward to 2021? Let's go. I'm looking forward to it. Um, let's be honest this morning. Uh, this was an issue in the previous service. Not going to be an issue here, though, because you guys are all saints. But I heard a yes. Amen. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you come across um, a word or a group of words, and you might think, oh, like that's a fancy word, or that's complicated. What does that mean? And more often than not, if you're like me, sometimes you'll grab the page, and you just slowly turn the page, and it becomes a distant thing of your memory. There we go. Sometimes, though, sometimes, not always, you might come across a fancy word, complicated word, whatever you want to call it, and you might think, I need to study that word. And so you have every good intention of studying it. So you do some study, you understand the context because you know the importance of context, and you still don't get it. Is anybody with me this morning? Our goal last Sunday and today was and is to explain and unpack and dissect two doctrines of the Christian faith. Now, we're not watering down. We're not diluting. We're simply wanting to explain them in a manner where you just get it. Our goal is to help you understand, and you might say, well, why? Why do I need to understand? Well, I'm glad you brought that attitude to church this morning. My response to that, it is, it is God's every intention that you understand His Word. We know in Joshua 1 verse 8, it says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. And you will be prosperous and successful. Now, last week we covered justification and we went kind of deep into justification. And we went to level one for sanctification. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to level up. Okay, turn to the person next to you, say level up. We went to level one on sanctification last week. We're going to go to level two this week, or level 2.5, if you're good enough. Let's go. Um, I want to clear up one thing uh, before we get started. We need to be absolutely clear on this 100%. Uh, it is God's will for us to be sanctified. No doubt about it. It's plainly stated throughout Scripture. To give you an example, First Thessalonians 4, uh, verses 1 to 4, it says, As 
for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will, God's will, grab hold of that, that you be sanctified. Somebody say sanctified. That you should avoid sexual morality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. It is plain as day. That's his will for us. Now, Pastor Adam ended his sermon last week with this. He said, when Jesus came, the world changed. And that is what makes Christmas the most wonderful time of the year. A young boy born of the Virgin Mary, this boy would eventually grow up to take our place on the cross, which was considered a very excruciating death. Every sin, every stronghold, every struggle, every ounce of pain was taken to that cross and nailed with him on the cross. Matthew one twenty one says he will save the people from their sins. It is through his act, not our act, through his act of obedience that you and I can walk in freedom. We are in him, grab hold of that, we are in him because of what he has done on the cross. What we learned last week was that justification is a legal term. It's a legal term. We also learned that sanctification is a temple term. Now, this is important. It's critical you understand this because this provides a clear delineation between both doctrines. Pastor Adam said sanctification is the process of you and me or us becoming experientially what we already are positionally. Grab hold of this. Justification is positional. It's positional and sanctification is progressive. Now, to take that just a little bit further, not only are we in him, we must progressively work towards Christ forming in us. Now, the key word there is work. And you might have alarm bells ringing in your head saying, did he just say the W word? Did he just say work? Because the Bible says that my work is like filthy rags. Well, that's true. It is like filthy rags when you're talking about justification. Remember, justification and sanctification are two separate things. You cannot take scripture, which was intended for justification, and apply that to sanctification and vice versa. It's how many, that's why there's so many skewed interpretations of both sanctification and justification. Your works are as filthy as rags when it comes to justification. Our works will not influence our position with him. They do not please God when we're talking about justification, but today we're talking about sanctification and the story's a little bit different. In him is justification, Christ formed in us, or us working towards Christ-likeness is, you guessed it, sanctification. I want to clear a few things up before we get into the scripture reading uh, for this morning. One thing you've already learned is that it's two separate doctrines. While they are separate doctrines, they are often spoken of together, okay? And we learned that last week, we experienced that last week, but we must be careful, very careful not to blur, not to merge, or not to co-mingle them into one single doctrine. In fact, um, some neglect sanctification altogether and focus only 
on justification. And the thought there is that I only need to rest. I only need to rest in the finished work of Christ. And any effort that I put in towards working to Christ is simply legalism. J.C. Ryle addressed this exact issue in a book titled Holiness, written over 100 years ago, but still 100% relevant even today. And he said this, it's going to come up on the on the screen there, it says, strange doctrines have risen up of late upon the whole subject of sanctification. Some appear to confound, which means to confuse it with justification, and others fritter, which means to squander or to waste it away to nothing under the pretense, which is claim of zeal for free grace and practically neglect sanctification or together. Here, J.C. Ryle is referring to those who might only focus on justification alone. The thinking there, as I mentioned, is that I don't need to become Christ-like because, well, Christ is already in me, and I in him. Me trying to become like Christ is legalistic. Now, this is a classic response. It's a classic response when someone neglects sanctification or when one thinks justification and sanctification are the same doctrine. While it's common to speak of both together, We have to remember they are completely and utterly different but separate doctrines. Here's a common thought um, amongst um, Christian leaders and thought leaders and that sort of stuff. And it's the whole idea of uh, let go and let God. Let go and let God. It's pretty catchy, isn't it? It's pretty catchy. Would make for a good sermon title. Be fairly attractive sermon title, yet uh, we know that uh, Paul tells us uh, the exact opposite. In fact, he says this is far from the truth. How do I know? Well, Paul struggled immensely. He struggled immensely with the process of sanctification to the point where I quote in the Bible, he said, I beat my body into submission. Romans seven fifteen to 20 uh, says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, uh, but it is sin living in me that does it. It's a lot of do's. Reminds me of Baby Shark. (laughs) The struggle is real. I used to hate that song until we had a kid, and then I found out that it puts him to sleep, so it's my jam now. We play it all the time. Miranda sings it totally out of tune, but we just not go there. Um, We are indeed, you have to grab hold of this, we are indeed a new creation. We are a new creation, but that does not mean we live without any struggle whatsoever. J.C. Ryle then goes on to explain that there's this wrong standard of sanctification before a believer's eyes, and in the hope of, of trying to attain to this standard, we're trying to achieve it, this impossible um, standard of sanctification. We waste our lives or time in repeated successions, dare I say it, as a pastor, going from church to church, chapel to chapel, sect to sect, in the hope that we find whatever it is that will complete us. Let's be clear this morning, sanctification is built. Somebody say built. Built on justification. 
At the point of your salvation, you became in him. Now you're in progressive sanctification. Day by day, our goal, our goal should be to become more and more and more like him. Now, the inverse of that is simply not true. Justification is not built on sanctification. Why? I'm glad you asked. We are not in him because of our performance or how well or how fast we pursue holiness. Remember, our works, when it comes to justification, are like filthy rags. We are in him because of what Jesus did on the cross. We did nothing to receive justification, but now we must progress towards forming Christ in us. Can I get an amen? Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God has done a work in you. God has done a transformation in you. It's your responsibility to let that manifest on uh, the inside. Now we have a better understanding of sanctification. I, I want us to look at the, the argument for sanctification. Why do we need to go down this route of sanctification? If you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to start from verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles with you, that's okay. It's going to come up on the screen. And what we're, what we're about to read uh, in, in the Scripture this morning is Paul attempting to encourage believers like you and me uh, to focus their minds and attention on godly, spiritual things. Okay? Those who are free, thanks to their faith in Christ, should not live in sins which have habitually plagued their lives. Let's pick up the reading this morning. Verses 1 to 4 is where we're going to start. And it says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This, these verses give us a glimpse into justification, sanctification, and glorification. As we saw, if you were here last week, we saw it on the whiteboard. For we died, and now our life is hidden, or it's contained with Christ, or in Christ, there's justification. Christ, who is your life, meaning when he is the sole source of everything that you do, when he's the sustainer for you, uh, that's sanctification. And finally, when Christ appears, you will also appear with him in glory. As you guessed it, that's glorification. Now, up until this point where we've stopped, life doesn't seem that tough. In fact, it seems kind of easy, right? All we have to do is set our mind on things above, and not on earthly things, how hard can this really be? We're soon to find out from verse 5 onwards. From that verse, Paul speaks to the issues that stem from uh, the human heart. And he lays out what we call imperatives or things that are necessary now that we are justified, now that we are in him. And he begins verse 5 with three incredibly strong words. And he says these three words, put to death. Put to death. Notice Paul doesn't say try to tame 
or put it aside or try to avoid. He says put to death and is referring to the mortification of sin, which uh, the definition means, uh, or the definition is to entirely subdue our flesh's evil propensities so that there is absolutely no remains of it whatsoever. Verse 5 onwards says, put to death. Therefore, whatever uh, belongs to your earthly nature, and he starts listing these imperatives. He says sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. And he doesn't stop. He just keeps on going and going. Thank you, Paul. He says anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not uh, lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Grab hold of that. And have put on the new self which has been renewed in knowledge, uh, in the image of its creator. Life just got a whole lot harder. Put off the old life and put on the new life. We must progressively work towards the image of Christ. We are being renewed. We're being renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit into Christ-likeness, and this is our objective Set your minds on the things above where Christ is seated. Get your mind away from the things that are below. Put on the new self. Put on the new self. What does that mean? It requires a mind shift. It requires a mind shift, a renewing of the mind. Romans 12, verse 2, you might know it. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Somebody say transformed. By the renewing of your mind, these imperatives or things that are necessary that Paul has just mentioned are spun with negative connotations. We think about it, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, filthy language. These are all negative things. And I want you to park that thought there for a moment. We're going to revisit those in about two and a half minutes. Okay? So remember that they are negative connotations. If we're moving on to our reading, Colossians 3, verse 11, it says here... There is no Gentile or Jew. Interesting. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. There is no. He opens by saying there is no. Now, the original meaning for these three words are used right throughout the New Testament. It simply means there is no, but let me give you an example. Galatians 3, 27 uh, to 28 says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither, or there is no. This is the same meaning that's used here. There is no Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, notice what Paul mentions after he says there is no. There is no what? Well, Paul then lists what would normally be considered socially economically, racially divided groups of people. Yet none of this exists, and he states this, none of this exists even in the slightest in the kingdom of God. Why? Because we are one with Christ. Let's take a look at the groups of people that Paul mentions in verse 11. We're going to have some fun here. Um, let's first start with Jews and Gentiles. Uh, they were completely separated groups of people. Okay, You've got to understand that. They hated hated, absolutely hated each other. If you wanted to do a lunch after church on a Sunday between Jews and Gentiles, that ain't happening, 
Okay, I'm just being clear. It's not going to happen. No connect groups, nothing. They did not interact. They hated each other. Um, in fact, uh, Jews wouldn't even go into the home of a Gentile. They wouldn't even enter the home. Uh, they wouldn't even in, uh, eat with a Gentile utensil. They didn't want to. They didn't want to. They said no. If a Jew went out of Israel, they'd have to shake the dirt off their clothes so it wouldn't contaminate the soil of Israel when they entered back in. Yet despite this divide and contrast, Christ, in Christ, there is no Jew and there is no Gentile. Let's look at barbarians and Scythians. Uh, these groups of people were uh, extremely hostile towards each other. Uh, I had to do my own research on barbarians, I must be honest with you, because my only idea of a barbarian uh, were those who are on Netflix. Netflix barbarians, you may have seen them. And the thing about Netflix barbarians is that they speak in plain English. Their English is just perfect. Now, in my extensive research uh, on barbarians through the help of Google, it turns out that barbarians were incredibly inarticulate. They couldn't speak. In fact, here's a, here's a fact for this morning. Barbarians were named barbarian uh, because to the educated people when they spoke, it sounded like this, like ba, 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 ba. It was just complete babble when they spoke. So they gave them the name barbarian. Some wives are like, that explains everything. My husband's a barbarian. Your response, husband, is we are all one in Christ. Amen. Barbarians were uncultured, nomadic tribes, feared by most people. It wouldn't even be plausible to include barbarians in the same sentence as cultured people like Jews and Gentiles. Now, if you thought barbarians were savage, if you thought barbarians were savage, Paul decides to take it to a whole other level, and he slips in the word Scythians. What's a Scythian? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you came across a Scythian, you better run. You better run. Straight up, you better run. Uh, and even if you could run, let's say you could run, uh, you're still doomed. You're absolutely still doomed. Um, you have no chance. Here's why. Uh, Scythians would run from China to Eastern Europe. Don't act like you know how long that is, because you don't. In all honesty, I thought that there was at least some sort of water or sea dividing the two. Turns out there isn't. You can run from China to Eastern Europe if you want. It's going to take you 6,000 kilometers long. But they would run. They would run 6,000 uh, kilometers. Now, you don't want to mess with anyone who finds joy in running 6,000 kilometers, just saying. Okay? That alone should tell you that these guys are crazy. Now, when they're not running 6,000 kilometers, what are they doing? Well, they're on the battlefield. Now, historians agree, uh, and this is fact-checked by, like, several people after the first service, uh, Scythians would drink the blood of the first enemy that was killed in battle. They made napkins of scalps. <laughs> At least use something that's a little bit softer. And drinking bowls out of the scales of enemies. You want to know the final straw? Like, that's bad, but you want to know the final straw? They refuse to wash themselves and wash their hands. That's not going to roll in 2020, just saying. It's not going to work in 2020. If you ever want to insult someone, call them a Scythian. They were just barbaric. They were barbaric people. Uh, they were the worst of the worst. But as you've read and as you already know in Christ, there is no barbarian. There's no Scythian. You might think you don't belong. You might think, I don't belong here. I want you to think again. 
You might see yourself as the most wicked, filthy person, but understand this, in Christ, there is no distinction in the kingdom of God. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Let's look at slaves and free men. Uh, This one's a little bit more obvious. These groups of people are living in completely uh, different worlds, miles apart from each other. Slaves could not purchase property. Uh, They had no legal rights. They were owned. They were a tool. They were an instrument. Uh, They weren't even a person, but in Christ, that distinction does not exist. A Jew and a Gentile are one, a circumcised and an uncircumcised are one, a barbarian and a Scythian are one, a slave and a free man are one. And so many things that can divide us uh, today, and you know this, social matters, backgrounds, upbringings, race, and salvation comes along. And all of a sudden, those divides no longer exist. Previous identities cease to remain. You might be a criminal, or you might be the most upholding member of society. In Christ, there is no difference. This is profound. You are a brother. You are a sister. There are no more categories, no more divisions, no more racial divides. As a believer, all that matters is Christ is all and in all. We died to that old life. We died to that old category, and we died to that old group. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 16, it says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. From now on, we regard no one, from a worldly point of view. If we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now remember in verse uh, 5, Paul introduced those sets of imperatives or things that are necessary now that we are in him. Remember these were, these were negatively positioned, so we're talking about things like idolatry, anger, rage, malice, and so forth. Uh, these are things that we ought to pull off Okay, now in verse 12, something interesting happens because Paul continues to give us some more imperatives, but the difference here is that he spins them with a, with a positive thought. These are things that we ought to put on. And it says this in verse uh, 12 to 15, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, here we go, here's some more imperatives, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love. Put on love, which binds them all together into perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Two things are happening here. Paul is driving home once again this whole notion of one body. One body, one kingdom. No distinction, no categories, or no division. Now second, what we're seeing is Paul introduced those more those imperatives, which to me, and hopefully to you, they look a little bit familiar. So if we read them again, it says compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, Impatience. Don't they sound familiar? Sounds a little bit like Jesus to me. Each one is a virtue 
or a characteristic of Christ. First five is separation from something. Take them off. Take off that old self. Verse 12 is separation unto the Lord. Put them on. Clothe yourselves in them. As we close off our scripture, verses 16 to 17, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and as you admonish uh, one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever we think, whatever we do as believers, we ought to be forming Christ in us. In him, it's justification, and Christ formed us, working towards Christ-likeness, is, you guessed it, sanctification. Our Heavenly Father wants more for us than just positional holiness. We know that. He actually wants to transform our lives. He's in the transforming business. He's after a manifest of holiness, our lives lining up with his life, looking more and more and more like him every single day. Our goal, our goal is to be like Christ. Sanctification, Christ formed in us. And many people will view this as legalistic or religious legalism. I simply see it as you living the life that God wants you to live. Why would you not? Why would you not want to live a life that's filled with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? It sounds like a pretty good life to me. Giving your life to Him and being legally justified happened in a single moment of time. When you said yes to Jesus, and you said yes, all of a sudden you became in Him. A single event occurred. When that single event occurred, any past association, any identities, any categories, any division was ripped right away. These no longer exist. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High. There is no more. Sanctification, on the other hand, does not happen in a moment. It does not happen in a moment. It's a continual process. It's progressive. I want to leave you with an analogy uh, this morning. Uh, and on the 29th of, of September, 2020, uh, I didn't share this already. I don't think I did. Um, I became a dad. And it was one of the most uh, amazing experiences. I legally became a dad on that certain day, right? As soon as Noah came into the world, I was a dad. Uh, and that was my legal position. But here's the thing. I was legally a dad, but that did not mean that I automatically know how to be a dad. It's through months of, in the last couple of months, just learning through experience and talking to people and getting advice, where I'm slowly learning how to become a dad. I remember like a week out from when Noah was uh, due to be, uh, due to arrive on, on, on earth, um, I said to Miranda, I said, hey, uh, we're going to hospital and uh, we have Noah. I become a dad, you become a mum, we come home. I said to her, do you know what to do? And she said, absolutely not. And I said, that makes two of us. My status changed. My status changed on that particular day. 
my life was about to change. Justification is a point in time your status changes. Now we're in the process of sanctification. We're learning to become Christ-like. It's through connecting, it's through relationships, it's through coming along, getting plugged into church when you can really progress towards that. You're on a journey. We haven't arrived yet. Sanctification is simply a declaration that we aren't there yet. Let's not pretend that we are. One of the best things you can do is admit that you don't know where you are. Talk to someone, tell someone, have a chat to someone. It's not an easy journey, never was, and it never will be. But know this, He wants to transform our lives. I'm going to leave you with this. Someone said this, the heart of the issue, absolute heart of the issue, is the issue of the heart. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. Sanctification is addressing the heart issue. It's addressing the heart condition. It's not easy. The Bible does not promise that. Paul clearly laid out how much of a struggle that can be, but it's attainable. We are made in His image. We go from glory to glory towards Christ-likeness with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's finish where we started. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you, we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual morality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. My question for you this morning is Christ in you? Is Christ in you? You might think, not yet, because I need to get some things right. I need to change some things before I get right with Christ. We talked about it. You already know there is nothing we can do to become justified with Christ. I remember talking to a friend many years ago. I said, come along to church. You'll love it. And they said, no, I just need to get my life all lined up. I'm still waiting for that person to show up. I'm still waiting for that person to show up. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. When you become a believer, you have been justified. You have been declared righteous. And through Him, not only are you declared righteous, but you now begin this process of sanctification. Maybe you've never accepted your life, uh, Jesus into your life. Today is your day. Is Christ in you? If the answer is no, then today is your day. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to say, no, He's not, but I want to make Him in me, I want, to, I want to accept him into my life and give you an opportunity. And we're going to say a prayer together as a, as a family. Before I do so, I want to know who we're praying for. So if you do want to accept Jesus into your life, would you raise your hand on the count of three? One, you've got to know that Jesus loves you. He loves you. Two, this will be the best decision you'll ever make. Three, give your life to Christ today. No turning back. If that's you this morning, would you put your hand nice and high and we're going to pray for you. Every head bow, every eye closed.
our church. We have a we have a world to reach, people to reach, people to share the gospel with, people to talk to. God is good, amen. Church, would you stand uh, to your feet? And if you feel comfortable, you can hold your hand, hands like that, and I'm going to pronounce a blessing over you. It says this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Church, receive that this morning. Everyone said amen and amen. Hey, church, if you need prayer.